Welcome to the seventh ever episode of the Movie Hunters Podcast. Today, we talk the new movie, Fighting With My Family, Blind Spotting, as well as Jordan Peele's first movie, Get Out. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Hunter. I'm your second host, Noah Hunter. And it's time to go movie hunting. everyone and welcome to the seventh ever episode of the movie hunters podcast the podcast where two brothers with the last name hunter get together and talk movies noah how's it going it's going pretty good how's your week been it's been all right i got a little little belly belly ache today because i drank milk and i'm asian and i shouldn't drink milk (laughs) (laughs) i'm not asian and i i do milk fine I I think we should like drop little hints in about who we are throughout this podcast, and as people listen, they're gonna be like, "What? These guys are brothers? The redhead guy <laughs> and the Asian guy?" <laughs> yeah, we've kind of been doing that already. Yeah, because <laughs> you were taking shots at my heritage last week. <laughs> uh, accidentally. Mm, accidentally. <laughs> Well, with that being said, should we jump into some news for the week? I think we probably should. Alrighty. Well, first story we got is um, the Fresh Prince himself, Will Smith, who starred in a uh, critically acclaimed, I might add, Suicide Squad in 2016. Critically Um, acclaimed. Yeah, that was a joke. Mm. So... We talked about how James Gunn is getting the the sequel right. uh, that they're making of Suicide Squad. Will Smith ain't in on it, though. Uh, he's mm. not going to be coming back for old James Gunn. Why do you think this is? And is this a good thing for this movie? Is it a setback for this movie? What, what, are, what, are, your, what are your first reactions to this? I don't really feel like it's either a benefit or a setback either one because it it really depends on what James Gunn's vision is for the new one like if he was planning on doing a sequel well that's going to be hard to do now because a lot of those people involved in the first movie aren't going to be back what do you just have pretty sure it's just a root I think he plans on doing a reboot from what I I heard I I don't think it's going to be a sequel so if he was doing a reboot then uh, Will Smith's character didn't necessarily need to be in it he could do a reboot without that character and frankly if i'm being honest while i like will smith i can't think of how will smith's character from the first film would fit in with james gunn's aesthetic that we've seen in guardians of the galaxy and some of his previous films like super i don't really know how will smith would fit in with that style so honestly i i don't have that big of a problem with it when, so when you say that, is there anyone from the cast from the 2016 Suicide Squad that you think would fit, that is a, who you, you either want to see come back or who would work well with James Gunn the if old, he or she comes back? The only one I can think of would be Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Yep. I think mm-hmm. Margot Robbie was the best part about that movie, and I think that she could fit into James Gunn's aesthetic 
the best out of anybody who was in that first movie. Joel Kinnaman, he couldn't really fit into that world. A lot of those other villains, maybe, um, maybe Boomerang. I could maybe see him. Um, Jared Little, man. <laughs> Is he coming back? Do we know if Jared Little's, if he's even, I don't know. if he's even I doing another not. DC movie? I don't even know. And after that performance, they shouldn't give him another shot. Have Joaquin Phoenix be in this one. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that's some more news that uh, I didn't put as a main story, but DC films are going to be a lot more disconnected going forward. So I really hope that this Joaquin Phoenix movie just stands alone and they don't try to pull him in. They've announced that? Um, like the films aren't going to be part of one universe anymore? Mm-hmm. They're still going to be universe films, but they're going to start focusing more on just other films that aren't connected specifically to the whole universal storyline. Kind of like, kind of like the way, um, when Netflix had its Marvel shows, mm-hmm. it was still in the universe, but you, you, you didn't have the connections with, with the films as much sure. like that, which yeah. kind of takes the pressure off and allows an individual story to be made, which I think is a good idea. And that's why I'm excited for the Joker movie later this year. I think it's a double-edged sword because you referred to the Netflix Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. While I like all those shows and those shows wouldn't have been able to do the things that they did. Well, I don't like Iron Fist, but while I don't think those shows would have been able to do what they did if they were so tightly connected to the family-friendly MCU. You also have the problem of them feeling completely separate and they're not even it doesn't even feel like it's part of the same world so mm-hmm. i think it's uh there's good and bad with that i think we've seen um dc butcher a connected universe so i think people are, are kind of pushing for a separate thing sure. just to give it a try i mean if it doesn't work they'll probably can it and maybe go back or just give up <laughs> <laughs> Um, that probably won't happen, but no. we'll see what happens with the DCU. Moving on to our next story, Netflix is planning for a wide theatrical release of its new big Martin Scorsese film with Al Pacino and um, his name just escaped me, Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Joe Pesci. Yep. Uh, the Irishman. It's getting a wide theatrical release. Pretty much, in my mind, you may think of it different differently. This is this is this is Netflix Oscar try. I mean, this is oh, their yeah. best picture. Definitely. This is their next Roma. Definitely, for sure, no doubt. Um, now, how wide do you think wide is when they say wide theatrical release? Because people say wide theatrical releases for a bunch of movies, and 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 it. We never see it up here where we are. How well, widespread do you think this release is going to be? There's a lot of movies we don't see up here. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that they're really going to try to go for it this time. There's been a controversy this week with Steven Spielberg yeah. and others speaking out mm-hmm. against Netflix and how they strongly believe in the theater system. And personally, I think it's all ridiculous. But I think Netflix mm-hmm. really wants that Oscar. I think that's and I 
I had said back in our predictions episode, I didn't think Romo would win for that very reason, because the Academy would want to reward a streaming movie. So I think this is Netflix's kind of their way of trying to combat that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, I think it'll be the most substantial theatrical release that they've done yet. Um, yeah. I don't know how big that means though. Um, I mean, Netflix movies that have come out, I, I, there's something about watching a movie in a, in, in a theater. So I think that'll make this experience um, probably a bit better than just watching a big movie like this at home, mm-hmm. going to the movie to see, going to the movies to see a, a Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, you know, a, a big period piece like that. Um, it has a cinematic feel. Um, is bringing them back to kind of their their crime crime drama roots, like with The Godfather and Goodfellas and and, and that kind of niche. Mm-hmm. So I think it works well with with the theatrical release and I didn't, yeah I really think uh, Netflix is trying to knock the impression around giving an Oscar to a, to Netflix or, or to a streaming service right and I think they probably will have success with that I think um, judging by with the way Black Panther performed and how progressive I guess you could say they are right now I think that the kind of trend towards not um, discriminating against a movie because it's streaming is might be going away. I don't know if it's this movie that does it mm-hmm. or maybe next year or what, but I think this movie will move it in the right direction. I think it'll eventually happen. Um, yeah. I don't know if it'll be the Irishman. We, we have to know more about it before we can you already have a that. pretty um, I don't want to say bad view on it, but with, with the whole story we got about half the movie being uh, de-aged Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And yeah. So, not off to a good start in your eyes. Uh, that's, I mean, that's... Even if they had gotten, like, different actors to play the young versions of themselves, I don't want to rehash what we already talked about, but, yeah, I'm not a fan of the idea of de-aging them for that much of a movie. I thought about it after the fact, though, but... I guess uh, when we go see Captain Marvel this weekend, that'll kind of be the first real test of the age old, old Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel. I don't know if they'll de-age Coulson, but there's a lot of there's a lot mm-hmm. of people in that movie that are going to be playing younger versions of themselves. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. We'll see. We'll see how that technology performs. So <laughs> moving on. As you brought up Captain Marvel, we're going to the most beloved MCU. They have three movies releasing this year. Them being Captain Marvel, which releases this weekend. Uh, then the big long-awaited Endgame, long-anticipated, and long-anticipated, long-awaited Spider-Man Far From Home. And then we get a 10-month break from Spider-Man Far From Home to May 1st, 2020. Mm-hmm. They're... Marvel has reserved a slot and have not has reserved a slot for a release uh, of, of a film, but has not titled it, has not given us anything, has not said they're shooting anything, which has led to buzz recently um, this past week about what could possibly take that slot. Um, so what do you think 
could take that slot. And given this being basically what kicks off phase four, where do you think they're going to want to take this next phase after the the whole Infinity War saga well, for the past 10 years? Spider-Man is a Sony franchise, so it could be that Far From Home was even announced and promoted because it's a Sony film and Disney mm-hmm. doesn't have kind of jurisdiction over them in terms of how they market stuff. But it's possible that we don't know what it is because they're holding all their cards until we learn more about what happens in Endgame, who who comes back, who who doesn't. And so they may not want to announce something before we, we see that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it may just be something where it's a follow-up to kind of the events of Captain Marvel and Endgame. Maybe it's something having to do with the scrolls. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think it's really based all on what we see from these next two movies. I think they're just kind of, they don't have to say too much yet. So why why do it before Endgame comes out? So what would your prediction be for, for that film? Because we, we have a few confirmed films. Nothing that has been confirmed to start shooting. Like we have the Black Widow movies is confirmed. They have a director for it. Um, Doctor Strange's sequel, uh, the Black Panther sequel, or could we see something out of left field and something we haven't really heard about? I mean, it could be another Thor movie because uh, Chris mm-hmm. Hemsworth has said we might be seeing more of that. Uh, there's no, te- there's no real telling what it could be. I mean, judging by what's come out, like the order of things that have come out. Out of those films, I would say the next one we'd be in line for would probably be Doctor Strange because it's been we've waited the longest since the first movie or the last Doctor Strange movie to have the next sequel. Like everything else has come out since that Doctor Strange, so could be that. Again, I think it's we won't really know until we see Endgame. We'll have a better idea of it. What we think? I. Uh, I personally probably lean towards the Black Widow, um, mm. given the whole the the big release of Black Panther last year and and the winnings it had and and people are really wanting this Black uh, Black Widow movie. Um, the only reason I might not choose Black Widow is because Captain Marvel's coming out and that's going to be their first female led film, so maybe they might. Um, take a break from another female-led film right the next year. But given that we've heard talks about a Black Widow movie for a long time and, and then finally getting a director for it, that's probably the front runner for uh, what I think is going to be. Sure. I would also like to see something straight out of left field, like maybe an Adam Warlock movie. That'd be cool. Because um, they haven't really done anything after their Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two teaser at the end, their post-credit scene. Um, maybe he comes. He's probably going to uh, be in the third one though, right? Because it's James Gunn's script. Mm-hmm. Probably. Um, but I, I feel like we're going to see a Black Widow movie or a Doctor Strange. You know, the next movies before Guardians Volume Three, because mm-hmm. um, this that that project kind of. Has has I don't want to say fallen apart, but has really taken backward strides. So sure, I feel like that's probably shelved. So I, I don't know what it is. 
I don't buy that they haven't. There's people that have said that they haven't started even filming this film. I don't buy that. I feel like this film is in production and is filming. So you think it's I mean, filming? I mean, it could be in pre-production. I think if it was filming, we probably would have heard something because they film. I think. Yeah, I mean, unless they re- they're really filming somewhere out of left field, but uh, I mean, I tip- mean, typically Black Widows from Russia. So I mean, well, I doubt they find a pretty secluded. <laughs> I doubt they film in in the uh, in the east. So <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I'll be excited for whatever film they announce. I'm excited for everything that Kevin Feige puts his name on. Sure. So, with that being said, moving on to the box office numbers of the weekend. And in first place, I'm going the other way this week. <laughs> um, so, in first place, with $30 million comes the second weekend of How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World. Mm. Well, you shocked? I'm a little surprised. Keep going. I'll tell you. If I'm second talking. place is uh, Tyler Perry's ninth installment in the Medea. Dear franchise coming in at twenty seven million, which currently has an A minus cinema score. Which no, I, I don't trust cinema score. Its, you don't trust cinema score? No, no, I haven't looked up its Rotten Tomato score, but apparently cinema score says it is a, a decent movie. Coming in third place is Alita: Battle Angel, and it's third weekend, I believe, hmm. coming in at seven million. So a big drop off. From twenty-seven million to seven million. Fourth place is the Lego Movie Two at six point six million, and rounding out the top five is the Best Picture winner, Green Book, who wow had a spike after that Best Picture, sure. uh, and a spike in sales. People went out to see it because that 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 was another one that up here we didn't get for for a while. It no, out. it came out way after. Yeah, so it, I mean it it released i think the weekend before thanksgiving or thanksgiving weekend and we didn't get it till christmas um yeah christmas around then so i think a lot of people missed out and Mm. given this winning they wanted to see it and audiences came out uh so i want to know what your little your little hmm was about once i uh i didn't think uh I didn't think How to Train Your Dragon would retain that much. You didn't? No, I thought one of the new debuts. And what I'm really surprised by is that uh, Fighting With My Family, nowhere on the list, huh? Mm-hmm. Nowhere on the list. And looking down, they're pretty far down there. I had to pull up the list again. I just had the top few I mean, typed up here. I could have seen Medea come out at number one. Medea, yeah, Medea's a pretty established franchise. Um, it's it's family, family friendly films, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Not all necessarily good films, no. but no. Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry puts his name on it, and and people go go see it. Yeah, he has <clears> his fan base. He has his fan base certainly. 
Oh, wait, I know you. You're from that weird family, aren't you? We're not weird. We don't like wrestling. How do you know if you've never been? I've never had rectal bleeding before, but I'm pretty sure I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> How about I shove her head up your ass and then we can find out? Hello? My name is Hutch Morgan. I'm calling from WWE. We'd like both of you to come try out for us. No! WWE! It's all fake anyways. So, Noah, what you been watching? I have recently gone to see what you were just talking about with your shock, fighting <laughs> with my family. Now, going into this movie, I didn't know exactly what it was. I knew it was a wrestling movie. I knew it was a true story. I didn't yeah. realize that it was. I, I, I didn't realize that it was Paige's story. Who, the the non wrestling um, fan went to go see the wrestling movie without the wrestling fan. Yeah. Man, you're just dropping clues all over the place in this video. Mm-hmm. So, going into this, I didn't realize it, it was Paige's um, story. Mm-hmm. And seeing this movie, I was really surprised. It's really good. I think it's sitting at a 91 on, on Rotten Tomatoes. And I think that score is pretty reflective. I really enjoyed this movie. Not even... The big point that I want to drive across is a lot of people... Maybe that's why it didn't do so well in the, in, in the box office is because people see a wrestling movie and they think it's a, a niche thing. Right. you got to be a wrestling fan. I'm not the biggest wrestling fan at all, and, and I really enjoyed this movie. Um, the I expected this movie to be kind of just a comedy um, that got, got uh, oh, what's his name, Nick Kroll, I think is his name. Yeah, Nick Kroll's in it. So, yeah, no, not Nick Kroll, Nick Frost. What is his name? Nick Frost. Nick Frost, yeah. yeah. And so I, I expected this to kind of be a, a, a comedy um, with a, I, a little bit of drama, given it was a true story. I wasn't expecting sure. the drama to, to really land with me. Uh-huh. But this is very well acted. Uh, th- throughout, throughout the whole movie, it, it's about... Um, Paige's character and her brother and how they they've been wrestling their whole life and they both finally get the call to come try out for the, the WWE for the for the developmental program mm-hmm. and Paige gets the nod and her brother doesn't and instead of really focusing it focuses in on Paige's story but I liked how it really it puts focus on the brother's story as well so you see both sides of that. Um, and the actor that played her brother, uh, I'll have to pull up his name, but he, the emotion that he has in this film throughout, I think he kind of steals a show. There's a specific scene in this movie after a bar fight mm-hmm. where he kind of steals a show and he, he, he kind of elevates above everyone. But uh, Paige's, Paige's character has those moments, too. There was, mm, through, I felt like the comedy maybe was a little bit overwhelming, um, where they could have went more dramatic with, with a certain scene and kind of extend it, and they kind of do, like, a comedic break. There were some scenes like that that I found annoying, where I wanted more, but nothing that I would really dock it for, nothing important. The Rock makes his appearance in here. <laughs> um, 
which is exactly what you expect it to be. It's it's a uh, it's he makes appearance to put butts in seats. So <laughs> he makes an appearance so the studio can say he's in the movie. Basically, he has a few words um, that um, he he talks to Paige, and and there's a scene where he talks to Paige, which happened in real life. So it makes sense why they put it in. But a lot of times, it felt like. Yeah, The Rock was just in here to be in here to promote this movie. In terms of sticking to Paige's actual story, um, in an interview with her, she, I forget um, who did the interview, but she said that she felt like it stuck to her story pretty well. Um, there, Obviously, with any um, kind of biopic, there's going to be straying away from the story for, Liberty for taken. certain purposes. Yeah. But she said she really enjoyed um, how it portrayed her story. Uh, and given, after seeing this movie, I, I kind of did some research of my own of her story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff checks out. Um, there was actually a documentary, and you being the wrestling fan, didn't even know about this. There was a documentary called Fighting With My Family about Paige's story that was released. I knew about it. I, think, I hadn't oh, seen you it. Did? Yeah, it was... Because that's originally that's what prompted. I think The Rock saw the documentary, and yeah. then Stephen Merchant, the writer director. Yeah, from what I understand, he saw the documentary and um, went to Paige and said, "I want to make a movie about this." And uh, it, I guess it took a while for this to to Get off the come ground. to be, but it did. Um, and the the timing is kind of interesting because at at the moment this was shooting Paige's career was kind of ending mm-hmm. in a way um i guess that was kind of bittersweet for for her to see that yeah all in all i would probably give this a high we happy oh wow yeah, a high. I, I think you should definitely go see it, regardless of if you're a wrestling fan or not. Um, there's there's great moments of comedy in this. Um, there's it, And it really kind of makes you appreciate the art of wrestling, mm-hmm. how it's not just fake, you know, it's fixed, they say. Sure. And how pulling off those moves isn't easy. Not anyone can ever do it. It touches on that. There's the dramatic story itself that is that is performed really well throughout um yeah you should definitely go see this uh support this movie get it up in the top five in the in the box office wow i was hesitant about this movie because it's a like it's a wwe studios movie and all their movies are pretty awful like they've made movies before and they're schlock uh, and when I saw the Rotten Tomatoes scores that this was getting, I was really blown away by how well it was mm-hmm. doing. Stephen Merchant, the writer-director, he was, uh, I believe he was the co-creator of The British Office. Yeah, he was. Along with Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. And, well, even not having seen it myself, if it's uh, made you appreciate wrestling, I already like it. <laughs> <laughs> this been your lifelong goal? <laughs> so Jason yes the question is what have you been watching 
I'll tell you what I've been watching. I've been watching the 2018 movie Blind Spotting. Blind Spotting is a film that was written and starring um, by David Diggs and Rafael Casal, I think is how you pronounce his name. These two friends, David Diggs, uh, is more notable for being in a lot of other things like Blackish. He was in Hamilton. Uh, Rafael Casal, I think this was his first major role. Um, but these guys wrote this film together. They've known each other for a long time. And then a friend of theirs, Carlos Lopez Estrada, directed it. And basically what the film is about is it takes place in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco. And um, David Diggs' character is, uh, he has three days left on his parole. And he's basically, he has to stay in a halfway house and everything for a crime he committed, which you see later on the, the kind of explanation behind what that was. And so he has three days left on his parole. And at the very beginning of the movie, he sees a cop shoot a guy uh, that's running away. He shoots the, the guy in the back and this kind of like scars him. And so basically the movie follows this guy over the course of three days. He's having to deal with this, but honestly, as much as that description sounds kind of heavy and dramatic, the film is pretty much entirely a comedy. I liken it to something like uh, Friday, where you're basically just following these guys around for the three days, seeing the antics they get into, seeing the interplay between them, but then also the film... It does a good job of balancing between the comedy and the lightheartedness and the more dramatic, heavy stuff. And at first, the film almost feels, I kind of want to say, like, corny. Uh, the, the writing and the performances start off that way. And it, at first, I really kind of, the first 20 minutes, I wasn't into it. Uh, but as the film goes on, uh, you kind of you fall into this with these characters and you fall into their routines and you, and you just get used to their interplay, uh, their friendship. And as they go along, uh, you see how that friendship has been strained by this one event and kind of how they, these two guys influence each other. Uh, but it, it, it does a good job of when it's getting too heavy, it goes back to the lighthearted stuff and then vice versa. I like, both these guys for different reasons. I like David Diggs the way he handles the heavier stuff, but the everything I've seen him in, I always thought that he came across as on the corny side and not necessarily being a true to the character that he's playing. He plays a guy in this film that's very much from the streets. Um a tough guy, but he doesn't pull that stuff off. Like you can tell that that's he has a hard time conveying that because that's not who he is as a person. But he does a great job of handling the dramatic stuff and handling a lot of the. It's basically uh, like PTSD that he's going through over the course of these three days. Meanwhile, Rafael Casal, this being his first movie, he is fantastic in this. I I watched an interview that he did after watching the film and it's night and day these are two different people but you wouldn't never have guessed that watching the film the film does a good job of building tension 
and eventually it gets up to a point where there's this big dramatic scene at the end of the film that it's been culminating to. But again, the film does such a good job of while it's, while you feel the tension, while you feel things building to a climax, it's all an undercurrent that's underneath uh, the comedy in the film, the lightheartedness. And you really see these characters go to some dark places and, and watching them turn is amazing. I highly recommend this movie. It's definitely retroactively, it's been added to one of my favorite films of 2018 list. I, I really wish, honestly, that uh, it's, it's filmed so well. And it's got a unique vision. These three guys, the writers, the actor, and the, and the director, kind of all, you can tell they work together and they've worked together for a long time. And it's such a unique vision. The directing is great. The visuals are great. I kind of wish it came out in 4K. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all they've put out is a Blu-ray. I think on iTunes, it's out in 4K. So if you can watch it in 4K, I can even tell just by watching the Blu-ray version how how great the 4K transfer uh, would, how much that would add to the film. But I definitely this put this... This isn't a tech show. This isn't a tech show. <laughs> I usually speak have to, for, I usually have to tell you that. everyone who watches Blu-ray. <laughs> I usually have to tell you that. <laughs> this is this is for everyone who watches Blu-rays. I got you guys. <laughs> so anyway, if I had to give this a score, I'm kind of right there with what you gave Fighting With My Family. I, I noticed that I give this score a lot, but uh, this one is a, on the very high <laughs> end of that. It's a, it's a very high, very high. We happy? Yeah, we happy. So. Very, very high. Very high. So. So you say Rafael Casal is that, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, I I think so. You think you think his performance was snubbed in terms of Oscar talks? Um, when I kind of consider who was nominated, who would you take out? Yeah. Honestly, I take out Remy Malik. I take out, <laughs> but um, and Hawk before, yeah, for first reformed, yeah, definitely. I mean, this guy's—it's his first big performance in a film. I think he's got a great career ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Frankly, this film is only now, like at the beginning of this year, seeming to get kind of the recognition it deserves because. The marketing for this was horrible. It does not depict the movie correctly. Um, so I think people are just now getting around to watching it. And pretty much non-existent. Yeah, yeah. What was there was bad. It didn't... It it portrayed the movie like it was... I don't know, like Green Book or something when it's not... Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. You guys got... Two movies to watch. Two recommendations. Go watch both of them. Go watch them. Cuz, I'm gonna have to let that marinate one time. Bruh, if you really about that life, this is the come up right here. Plus three bills and none but a small thing to a giant like yourself. I say let's make moves. You throw me that 300 right there. I'm gonna clip the woo wop to the rear view and less is more, you dig? Clip the woo wop to the rear view? By far. Fast. Fast. What'd he say? Oh, I have no idea.
So you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. In 2017, Jordan Peele's directorial debut, Get Out, was released to mass acclaim, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Katherine Keener, and Lil Rel Howery. Get Out is a satirical take on the horror genre. Kaluuya's Chris visits his girlfriend Rose's parents for the weekend in what is a retelling of the classic Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with a sinister twist. Jordan Peele's next film, Us, will be releasing later this month. Uh, so we decided to take a look at his first, his freshman effort. Noah, when you first saw Get Out, what were your thoughts on it? So after first viewing, um, I loved the film after first viewing. And, and after mm-hmm. second viewing, I love it even more. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2016, you know, he wrote 2016, 2015. Back then, he co-wrote uh, that movie, Keanu. Uh, yeah, and he starred with Keegan Michael Key, and I remember watching that. Um, and I don't remember if it was just me being young or it it if it if it stands the test of time. I haven't seen it, but from what I remember, I really liked that. I, I felt like it was funny, and it didn't take itself seriously, and it worked. Sure. Um. So from that and throughout. Their their comedy show, Key and Peel. Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peel have been a favorite of mine and I'm sure yours as well. So mm-hmm. before I even saw this movie, seeing Jordan Peel's name on it was an instant kind of turn on sure. um, for this movie. So I I really I really enjoyed it. And he, he takes a real risk here in going the horror route for his debut. Um, right. kind of something not many people were, were expecting and and throughout the movie and when we watched the second one i kind of pointed this out to you he kind of draws inspiration from horror greats like 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 kubrick i said and and mm-hmm. roman Pol- Pol- polanski kind of i get mm-hmm. the feel um he had a very atmospheric approach in it and in the way he he shot the movie and and the visuals he gave it it, it keeps tension from from scene to scene because of how he places the camera and the way and the way it was edited uh he he handles his main message through through kind of character interaction instead of boring monologues that give it up right away sure so i feel like his message was conveyed throughout the movie very well um through the character interactions and also i love the comedic breaks he gives us with Lil Rel's character. Yeah. Uh, I love him in this movie, and, and I really love this movie. Originally, <clears throat> I saw Keanu too, and it was, it was, it's a fine one time viewing. I would probably rate it right in the middle of the road. And mm-hmm. I thought that they had directed that movie, but it wasn't, they didn't direct it, but they did write it. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the trailer initially for the first time for Get Out, I thought it was a comedy, and when his name pops up, and the images that flash in that trailer, and there's a lot of imagery in that trailer that doesn't show up in the final film, but 
it plays the trailer plays out like it's a comedy and just based on its premise of it's basically just like guess who's coming to dinner which is um which has been told several times over in different films it it felt like oh it's this comedic premise but the funny thing we're doing this time is that it's a horror movie and there is a lot of comedy baked into the premise of this film but it it's truly a scary movie and it the comedy is more is more in there as satire. So originally when I saw this movie, I was not expecting a lot and it, it blew me away. I've always been a big Jordan Peele fan. I thought that out of the two, Key and Peele, I thought he was the more creative one. We've discussed this multiple times yeah. <laughs> on this show. Have we discussed it on this show? Yeah, we have. Oh, and okay. in real life. I think we've <laughs> talked, we talked about it. I think in the most anticipated video... Oh, okay, uh, that makes sense. I think we talked about it then when we talked about Jordan Peele's Us. Uh, just a heads up: whenever Noah says video, we don't actually have a video, so don't think that you're you're missing I don't us. Know. <laughs> I don't understand why I'm in a habit, but I just like to call this thing a video. <laughs> There's no video whatsoever; it's only audio. Uh, yeah, you guys can uh, watch us live on Twitch. Uh, we're streaming right now. <laughs> All right, well, what we're going to do is, with these examinations, what I like to do is kind of break the film down into its uh, the different sections of its plot. And then we go through a section, and then we kind of discuss um, something that the movie does uh, after talking about that section. So starting off with the intro of the film, the film begins with the abduction of Lakeith Stanfield's Andre Hayworth. We are then introduced to black photographer Chris and his white girlfriend, Rose. Chris is Rose's first black boyfriend. The two are off to visit Rose's parents for the weekend. On the way there, they hit a deer, and after a brief exchange with a police officer, they are back on their way. Jordan Peele is very deliberate in his direction, even in the opening minutes of the film. I know we talked about him taking influence from guys like Kubrick, uh, but what are your thoughts on how he does directing his first film ever? You mean holistically or opening minutes? Uh, overall. Overall, um, I think it's, it's great. I think he has a director's eye. As mm-hmm. I guess you could say it's a cliche, but the man knows how to do horror. And I guess he, he's kind of sticking to his niche with this next movie, um, Us. But as I was saying, the way he, he places his shots... There's a lot of inspiration from from Kubrick and mm-hmm. and Polanski, like we said, but he he puts his own flair on it. It doesn't feel like he's copying, um, which kind of really makes it unique in a way. I because when I was watching this live the first time, I didn't see it as oh that's a Kubrick shot or stuff like that. I was going to say Kubrick the same thing. Edit it. I only noticed the direction. Well, I noticed yeah. some of it in the first movie, in the first viewing, but the second time it really, yeah. it, the film opens up and you see so many of these choices that he's making. Mm-hmm. Especially because um, I watched The Shining recently, so I have Kubrick. <laughs> and I also have a lot of Shining plugs to talk about later <laughs> video. Sure. But I'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. But the direction, it keeps tension from from scene to scene, I think everything he intended to do, he accomplished. 
Um, with 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 this horror aspects and with this comedy aspects, uh, I think it's just brilliantly, and even throughout the way the way he uh, the way it's edited, I think really yeah. portrays his his vision for what he wanted to do. It's everything is meticulous. And like we were saying, it really opens up. If you haven't watched this, we're going to get into deep spoilers, by the way. So if you haven't watched this uh, at least once, I would recommend watching it twice because on the second time, you once you know what's going on in the movie, all of his choices have so much more meaning. Uh, I'd like to touch on some of them that I noticed and it's, it's this way in the direction. And we'll also talk about in a minute in, in his, in his writing as well. But some of the choices he makes from a direction standpoint, um, while in the beginning of the movie, our first images of Chris and Rose, Chris is shaving and all we see is his reflection in the mirror. And then you juxtapose that the cutting back and forth with Rose looking through the glass and making a pastry choice. And it's, it it signifies her kind of like looking in at him and like choosing him for as if he was a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they get into the accident, when they hit the deer, the deer's blood is painted on Chris's side of the car, mm-hmm. kind of yeah. signifying what's going to mm-hmm. go on Foreshadowing. there. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, yeah. yeah. It's, there's so many moments like this when you go down to uh, when he gets captured and and you go into the basement and you see kind of how the, the the shot is framed with him in the chair and the deer looking at him, looking down at him, Mm -hmm. just like in the beginning of the film. When we watched this on Saturday, that scene was when I just straight up leaned over and said, yeah, that's a Cooper shot. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to think he's able to pack so much in, especially in his in the first movie he's ever directed. Mm. Yeah, I uh, some things that stick out to me, and, and he hides so many little double meanings and everything. He says, "Like I didn't catch this in the first one." And upon watching, upon like thinking about it a little bit harder after seeing it the first time, mm-hmm. um, the double meaning of, of the whole, the whole cotton, uh, the cotton balls. I'm not going to say what, in case you sure. want to say spoilers just for now. Um, and the connections to the shining and kind of, um, a tribute to Kubrick. I, I noticed when it was at the airport, um, when it, when it cuts to, on a little rails scene on the intercom, the number two thirty seven was said. Yeah, and if you if you've seen the movie The Shining, that's the infi- infamous room. I'm not going to spoil that movie because if you haven't seen the movie, you need to see that movie. Yeah, um, it's probably one of the best horror movies ever. Um, and also at the very beginning of the movie, like Keith Stanfield's character is, is is walking through this neighborhood, and and he says under his breath, he says, "I feel like I'm wa- walking through a hedge maze." <laughs> again, I didn't catch that shining, one. If you've seen The Shining, you, you you'll understand the connection there. Sure. Um, he 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 hides so many little things, and I feel like when directors try to do that, they kind of focus on hiding things, and don't, and kind of lose sight of the direction. 
I don't think his vision and, and, and the whole overall story falls at all. I think it's just strengthened by the double meaning she plugs sure. in here. Sure. And and that's a sign of of good directing and, and a good script. Yeah, well let's uh let's kinda get into the script here. The next section of the film when Chris arrives at the home of Rose's parents, Dean and Missy, the film presents the following interactions as uncomfortable, but honestly not anything we haven't seen before. Dean uses slang and there are hints of cultural appropriation, but with the context of what happens later in the film, much of what's said is coded in double meanings. We are also introduced to Rose's hostile brother, Jeremy, and things start out being racially clumsy, but as incidents compound, the tension rises. Upon an initial viewing, you may only detect that something is happening out of view with the introduction of the help, Georgina and Walter. But there really is so much to dissect in this film. What do you think of the dense Oscar-winning script by Jordan Peele? And speaking about those double meanings, uh, specific examples, what are some of the things you mentioned um, that you noticed on a second viewing? Yeah, I mean, as as I was... Um kind of talking to before before we started talking about the script I I was kind of pointing towards how the he uses imagery to convey double meanings but and and a lot of directors kind of stick with the imagery and don't try to throw it um with the script because a lot of times kind of double meanings and 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 the way they're portrayed with words doesn't flow uh-huh. correct but pretty much every not everything but a huge portion of his script is just is easter eggs and double meanings behind it connecting foreshadowing and it, it all works together so well right there's so much of it and i mean when we were watching you you were taking notes as, as we were doing this whole thing mm-hmm. and you're like dang literally every word that comes out of these guys' mouths has connections to, to something. And yeah. I really want to know how long, you know, it took him to make a script like this to. Oh, he, to, he's probably been working on it for years and years. Yeah. And, and it'll be interesting to see going into us, if it's going to be that, you know, like that again, um, with all those connections and, and to see if he does that, that'd be pretty great. Yeah. Um, knowing that he released this, he, I mean, he finished writing this what two, three years ago, and maybe he had this, maybe he had this um, prepared. I mean, even before that. But I'm, I'm really excited to go in to, to us and, and see if he can recreate um, the magic he did with his with his script and get out. Yeah, they say you had your whole life to write your first film, and mm-hmm. you only have a few years to make your second one. So it'll be interesting to see, kind of, yeah, like you said, if he's able to kind of have lightning strike twice um i'm really looking forward to us but i think it's going to be hard pressed to kind of capture as much of the density as this film does uh just yeah. just to, like you said i was taking a bunch of notes i'd like to kind of go through some of the things i noticed um when they're making their way there and all throughout the movie they they want to try to help chris stop smoking but honestly it's not for his benefit it's so that they can keep the body healthy yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when the cop shows up at the beginning of the film, and Rose is when he asks for Chris's ID, and Rose is like, "Why do you need to see his ID?" Upon a first viewing, you think, "Oh, that's just a girlfriend standing up for her boyfriend. She hasn't been in that mm-hmm. situation before." 
she doesn't realize what it's like for people to go through that on a regular basis. But what you realize on a second viewing is she doesn't want a paper trail. She doesn't want Mm -hmm. anybody to have any record of where this guy was. Uh, And then once they get to the house, everything Bradley Whitford's character, Dean says, everything is coded in uh, double meanings. He says, it's such a privilege to experience another person's culture. Of course, meaning being that person. They walk by the basement and he says, we close that off because there's black mold down there. Of course, Mm -hmm. the the black people being molds for the, the white minds. He says, this is mom's old kitchen and we keep a piece of her in here. And then the camera shows Georgina. And of course, we find out later that Georgina is his mom. Grandma. Yeah. Well, I think it's his mom. It's Rose's grandma. Yeah. Yeah. He says... When they go into the backyard, he talks about Georgina and Walter, and he talks about his parents, and he says, when they died, we couldn't bear to let him go. And at first, you think he's talking about the servants, but he's talking about he couldn't bear to let his parents go. And he says, I hate how it looks. And again, he's, he's talking about he hates how his parents look now. Uh, he says, some people... Uh, don't want strangers messing around in their heads. I mean, there's just so much in here. At the dinner table, when Rose is telling the story, she bites off the black guy's tongue, and the black guy can't talk. It's just, it's thick with it, and it's incredible. Like, if you watch the sequence from when they arrive at the house to the first Mm -hmm. night that they go to bed, all of it can pretty much be interpreted as one of two ways. Mm -hmm. And to write that much of a film that way, I mean, it has to take a lot of forethought. Mhm. Yeah. It it it's crazy just looking at more examples that you that you have. Uh I don't know if you want to read them but even after that first night at the party people are asking about traits they're looking for. Right, right. Not not just and when when I saw it, I just kind of saw it as when I saw it the first time, I kind of saw it as just kind of like the opposite of racism and just over admiration right yeah and and you can interpret it that way and then once you see this the second time it's really interesting watching this because you realize you can interpret it another way yeah they're just Um, looking they're not asking him to be nice they're mm -hmm. trying to find out what they want to purchase yeah it's pretty crazy yeah yeah this this is a movie it's definitely better if you watch twice yeah it demands a second viewing it, it's yeah once you know what happens the whole rest of the movie is is, is different if you watch it again characters so. motivations you can you uh-huh. can see how they've been concealing things all throughout the movie yeah mm-hmm. it's amazing uh to get into the next section of the film chris wakes up in the middle of the night and goes out to smoke a cigarette walter is sprinting around the grounds and runs right at chris Then when he goes inside, Missy hypnotizes him, forcing him to reveal the details of his mother's death. At this point, Chris enters a sunken place, a place where he can only act as a bystander in his own body. So the sunken place has become a huge part at this point of pop culture. How well do you think the film handles the sunken place as well as the other supernatural aspects of the script? I, uh, when this was happening, we were watching it on Saturday. Mm Mm-hmm. When films that are very much live action taking place in the real world and then they try to go supernatural, a lot of times it 
doesn't work. And I pointed out how in First Reform, there's a scene. <laughs> you won't let this that, go. <laughs> that doesn't work. It is probably, I mean, if we're talking about in terms of 2018, it's probably the most craziest out of nowhere scene I saw in 2019, in 2018. Hmm. I mean, I watched it in 2019, but this film doesn't do that at all. It feels really organic in a way, and it's weird to say that sure. um, a supernatural thing felt really organic, and I think that that's just a testament to, to how good this was performed mm-hmm. and how good this was directed and edited. Because it doesn't feel crazy, like when Ethan Hawke's character starts to float across the freaking <laughs> world. So, so when he's in that sunken place, it, it feels really real, and 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 I love the way it's shot, the way it's shot from yeah. from both points of view. How you see um, him sitting in the chair with the tears rolling down, paralyzed, and how you see him in the sunken place, looking up, kind of through through a lens and realizing he has no control. Um, I thought it was, was, was done perfectly. Yeah. It's, it's a testament to, like you were saying, the direction of the film that it doesn't feel like it jumps a shark at that point when the whole film's kind of been building tension around the fact that, yeah, this is an uncomfortable situation and there's something weird going on with the servants but it's a situation that many people have been through before, meeting their boyfriend or girlfriend's parents for the first time. And uh, in the case of films like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the parents not responding well to their um, child dating someone of an, uh, a different race. And it feels the film builds tension around that. And it, it works as a horror film in that regard. But then once Chris goes into Sunken Place the film kind of ratchets up into this whole third, another gear. And it just feels like a natural evolution of, of the script. And it doesn't feel like it's, it's a whole different film at that point. It feels like just the natural next step. And what is up to that point kind of been a realistic story. Mm-hmm. And then of course, going on with the stuff ha- going or with the coagula and stuff like that. It just feels once you get that reveal, it it feels earned, and that's a test again. That's a testament mm-hmm. to his writing and how many clues he's dropped in, even if you don't notice them. Mm-hmm. So, let us move on to the next day at the Armitage's house, uh, as Rose introduces Chris to her family's friends during the get together. They compliment and ask about Chris's physical traits, like you were saying. Chris meets Logan King, a young black man married to a woman twice his age. Logan acts as strangely as Walter and Georgina. When Chris takes a picture of Logan with the flash on, he becomes hysterical, yelling at Chris to get out. Well, Keith does a good job of slipping between different personalities in this scene. What do you think of the rest of the performances in the film? So, not to run from Keith too fast, I, I want to bring attention to his performance. Sure. Although, not um, we don't see much of him. Just just uh, the appearance at the party in the beginning. I thought mm-hmm. he was really great, jumping back and forth, and really funny as 
as a white guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Lakeith, Lakeith's been killing um, everything he's been in with this and, and then the team um, is his partnership with uh, Donald Glover and, and Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta. He's great in that too. Completely different characters, by the way. Oh yeah. I mean, so, so the, the guys, uh, the guys got it, got it going. One thing, uh, his little, I don't think you've ever seen this, but I've said this to you multiple times when he goes on the Oscars, the 2018 Oscars last year, he had an appearance that was, um, really cringy but moving (laughs) he's a a weird guy in real life but to kind of tie it back to what i was saying about david diggs david diggs is a weird guy and you can feel that in all of his performances the keith like when he wants to slip into a role you he's completely in that role you don't sense any of his bizarreness Mm -hmm. yeah he's a he's a he's a great actor Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving on, Dana Kaluuya was 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 great in this film. Mm-hmm. Never missed a beat in every 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 uh, line he produced, and even his nonverbals. Um, one scene that I want to point that really stuck out to me was the hypnosis scene when mm-hmm. when he's when he has to really, which is kind of the most emotional part of the movie for him when, he, when he's connecting with his mom and and in his history. That whole scene is is done really well um throughout the whole uh throughout the whole movie the the family the whole family and and, and the way they give their lines it gives every everything they say just feels so with the exception of Allison Williams character once she's because she's trying to play this role of being Chris's girlfriend, but everything the family is saying just has attention behind behind it, and it 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 carries throughout the whole movie. Especially like when 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 the dad's given the tour. I mean, everything he was saying has a double meaning, but the delivery of those words and and the performances really add to the the suspense and throughout throughout the whole movie and then right. and then Allison Williams she before she was revealed to to be in on it she she felt a, she gave a pretty average performance as, as a girlfriend yeah. but but once once it was given up she completely changed I was going to say the same thing yeah when yeah. she performs it's, and the 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 scene that I think that really shows that is the call she has with with yep. the yep. with the with Rod, the TSA, yeah, which was a complete one eighty from 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 her her character earlier in the movie, and it's yeah, incredible Rod. because in that moment, her she's so stone faced, but just in the way that she talks, yeah, she you can you can still she switches between these different emotions to to kind of try to manipulate Rod, yeah. but the entire time her face is stone faced, and it's, it's yeah. It's amazing. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the guests at the party, there was nothing that stood out. They said their individual lines and, and left. Nothing docked it. I hated the um, Asian guy. He was my least favorite actor in the movie. Oh, <laughs> you already gave your... your, your all right, I hit my quota for today. <laughs> so, um, and moving on 
really the only performance I haven't touched on was was um, Lou. Lou Rell. And, you know, he, he's good in this. He's kind of playing himself, I guess. I haven't seen much of his stuff. Sure. But from, like, commercials I've seen of his show. I, <laughs> Mel? I feel... It's show yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like he's just playing himself. And not that it's bad. I mean, it works. So I don't dock it for anything. It, it didn't really stand out to me. He was... He was good comedic relief when when the story needed it, but the performances was were great in this movie. Um, mm. Notably, uh, Daniel Kaluuya for me and, and Allison Williams at, at the end. I will say that to give to give uh, Will Rell credit where credits due, he had to handle the bulk of the comedy in the movie, and I think he does a, yeah. a good job of that. So yeah, he he is. Pre- I mean, aside from from a few lines in the beginning of the movie from Chris and, and Allison, he's, he's the whole, he's all the comedy in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I also like Daniel Kaluuya. I think he was fantastic. Uh, another thing I would recommend, uh, of, of work of his is he's in the second ever episode of black mirror. He's like the main character in that episode. Um, Go and watch Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, he's he's more of a a bit player in Black Panther though. He has his little side story, and he's fine in that movie. But mm-hmm. I thought this was kind of the first thing I saw him in that made me really recognize his talent. Um, and then I saw I, the Black Pan- the uh, Black Mirror episode actually came out first, but I didn't see it till after I saw this movie. And then Lakeith again, I'm a big fan of Lakeith. If you want to watch a starring vehicle of his, uh, go watch Sorry to Bother You. That's another film I recommend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great performances all around in this film. So, I want to put an update to something. Sure. I don't remember what, I don't remember what, what, what podcast we talked about this, but when, when we were at Best Buy and you wouldn't buy <laughs> those two movies, you have now I both purchased both. Yep. And watched both. Yeah, I told you I'd go back. Well, I had already seen. Sorry to bother you. It played at one of the at the indie theater in town here, so I went and saw that when it came out. Sure. So, the next section of the film, um, the the silent auction. So Logan composes himself after being flashed, and Chris convinces Rose that it's time to leave. Back at the party, the family and friends play bingo, which most resembles a silent auction. The person who appears to win is a blind artist, Jim Hudson. When Chris texts a picture of Logan to his friend, Rod, Rod reveals the true identity of Logan, Andre Hayworth. Chris then finds the photos of all of Rose's previous black boyfriends. So at this point, the film is ramping up to its biggest reveal. How do you think it does at portraying the horror in this movie. Um, I feel like we uh, we touched on this throughout the throughout the. I won't say video. I won't say video throughout <laughs> the podcast. Sure. Um, it's done really well. It's it's if you like any of Kubrick work, Kubrick's work, or Polanski's work, you'll like this. And mm-hmm. he puts his own flair on it. Um, there's nothing. Nothing that I found bad. I mean, 
horror can definitely be bad. I know you really hate bad horror. I don't hate bad horror. I just think in a lot of cases, I don't think that horror by itself is necessarily a good trait for a movie where like acting can elevate a movie, direction can elevate a movie. Horror doesn't necessarily, for me, always elevate a movie. In this case, I like I like horror that does something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Cabin in the Woods. I'm a big fan of that. It's it's a it kind of takes the genre and kind of opens it up and tries to explain it. Uh, I like I like The Shining because it's beautifully shot and it's tense and it's psychological. Mm-hmm. This film, I'm a big fan of of the horror in the way that it it warps and twists something that people have to deal with all the time. And that's kind of the clumsiness and the awkwardness of um, people of different races coming together. And in this case, it feels like, and we'll touch on this in the next section a little more, but it feels like he comes in and he's welcomed to this family. And at first they're very welcoming, but they, again, but they don't know how to, communicate with him on his level or on a level that kind of respects him as a person. And the horror is mostly derived from that, but then it elevates into something else. So I appreciate the horror in this movie because it takes something that people have to go through all the time and something that we may view at this point as part of life and it turns it into something terrifying. And I think that's, for me, that's why the horror works in this movie. It's because it does something interesting with the concept. Yeah. So you're not a fan of jump scares? and No, I'm not a fan of... Slasher? Like, typical, yeah, slashers and... And, like, movies like Saw, where it's, like, torture, torture stuff. I, I If a horror movie can do something interesting with its horror that can add to the overall tone and themes of the film, then I can appreciate it. Like even Annihilation, where we talked about in our episode doing the examination of that, it's not necessarily a horror film. It's kind of like a sci-fi film, but it, it goes into some dark, horrific places and it mines horror out of the situation to elevate the film overall. So, so going into the capture in the movie, Chris tries to leave the Armitage home, but Jeremy blocks the door. Rose reveals that she has been in on the plot all along. And as Chris attempts to attack Jeremy, Missy hypnotizes him, knocking him out. Rod tries to investigate what's going on, going as far as to involve the police. Chris wakes up in the Armitage's basement in front of a TV and mounted deer head. He learns of the plot to transplant Hudson's brain into his body, forcing him into a life of passive captivity. This scene is dripping with symbolism. What do you think some of the bigger symbolism in the film is, and what do you think are some of the themes? Um, first, I want to point out that this moment when all the realization sets in when Rose is revealed to be in on it, it's kind mm-hmm. of... There's, there's a moment where it's really one of my only gripes with the film 
is that he's kind of just standing there and he chooses to fight and he literally has <laughs> the whole family against him. And there's a oh, there's there's a window right behind him. Um, if I'm if I'm Jordan Peele, I have him jump I mean, through the can, window. <laughs> jump through the window. I mean, you can still get him to the basement by having him jump through the window, start running, and then uh, Jeremy could chase him down or something. Sure. And but um, anyways, that being said. There's tons of symbolism uh, throughout this movie. We've we've touched on a bunch of it, and and I think the main theme of this movie, or, or one of the themes, is is kind of how I guess racism today isn't as concrete as um as it was or how it was viewed years ago. Um, sure, and now he kind of takes. Kind of, kind of states how, like I said earlier, how the over the extreme admiration and Mm -hmm. assumptions of of a race and and kind of putting on a pedestal because of that Mm -hmm. is is racism, and it doesn't have to be just black people; it can be any race. So I think that's his overarching thing. Yeah, it's with this. There's lots of themes of like cultural appropriation in this film. And mm-hmm. while the film does touch on stuff like slavery uh, and it, it harkens to it in terms of the servants at the house, Georgina and Walter, and it, and it kind of harkens to it in terms of um, the situations it puts, puts Chris in. I think really it's a, it's kind of an inverse of uh, what we typically expect from films touching on themes like slavery where these people don't hate him in fact it's the opposite like you were saying and that in and of itself just because you're just because it doesn't come from a place of hatred doesn't mean that there's not uh that there's not uncomfort there that there's not problems with being able to communicate with each other um not there's not respect there and i think the film really kind of looks at america in a different way in this day and age where yes we have all these other problems too but race don't just think of racism as i hate people of another race because it's not always it's not always that clear cut and not always that evil and sometimes it's more dangerous when it's not that way. Um, there's there's themes of control in this film. There's themes of of uh, privilege in the film. I think really he gets a lot in here. In every scene, there's there's it touches on something else. And I think that that's some of the easiest stuff to decipher from the film. But I think what he wants you to do uh, by having you to revisit the movie, kind of see things from a different point of view from the twist. uh, He wants you to look at, well, these are the things you've interpreted the first time around. Watch it again, because there's other things under the surface here. And I think that's, that's really a mature outlook for him to take as a director. Well, let's uh let's get to wrapping this thing up. Uh at the end of the movie, 
again, touching on themes of slavery and kind of the inverse of it, Chris picks cotton from the arms of the chair to plug his ears to avoid being hypnotized. I like how, just to kind of sidetrack in this moment, where even something small like this, it foreshadows earlier on in the movie where whenever he sits in the chair, he kind of picks at the armrests, which I didn't necessarily notice the first time. As Jeremy comes to get him for surgery, Chris knocks him out. He impales Dean with the deer head and stabs Missy in the eye. Jeremy comes to two and attempts to choke Chris out, but Chris fights back and stomps him out. As Chris tries to drive away, Marianne in the body of Georgina causes him to crash. Roman in the body of Walter runs Chris down, but Chris brings Walter too with the flash of a camera. Walter shoots Rose and himself, and as sirens and light fill the scene, Rose plays the victim as Chris raises his hands, but it's Rod. Rod and Chris drive away. What did you think of the finale? What are your final thoughts on the film, and uh, what would you score it? So the finale, um, I liked it just like everything else in this movie. Uh, the I thought the ending was really a, a really good way to end it. And if you've seen the alternate ending, um, the, I think the point that the alternate ending makes is I think people already kind of understand it once they see the lights and see Chris starting to raise it um surrender raise his hands i've been thinking um, about this because we talked about it when we watched the movie and i yeah said that i preferred the alternate ending the alternate ending well, is that the cops actually show up and then he gets arrested yeah but, but to your go ahead the, the the reason i like and, and i thought about that um past couple of days too the reason i still like this ending first is because nothing good goes on for chris this whole movie sure and i think that the idea that had it been real cops, you know, what may have happened. If you've seen the alternate ending, you know, what, what that, that could have happened, probably would have happened. Um, I think the idea that was already put in to the watchers, into the viewer's head, because when I saw yeah. it, I instantly thought, oh, crap, he's, he's going to go away. Sure. Um, at least until they, they find out what really happened and then, that that idea was put in my mind, and then the fact that it was it was um, Lowell's character, uh, I I really like that because finally something good went Chris's way, and I like the little exchange, kind of the comedic exchange at the very end once he gets in the cop car <laughs> with Rell. I think it's a nice a nice way to end, yes. the, end the film. Hey. <laughs> yeah i have been thinking about this and originally yeah i preferred the alternate ending because i think it is an interesting way to kind of wrap this movie up and it, it gives it again it, it makes you see the film in a whole new light where you've kind of sensed this you see how everything's been building up to this moment where chris could be mis- misinterpreted in the situation after watching it the second time and kind of thinking about it over the last couple of days, though, I I think Come I to the light side. I think I agree with you. I think you get yeah. a lot of that. You get a lot of that in that moment where the lights start flashing. Chris raises his hands. Rose is reaching out and playing the victim. I think you do get a lot of that in that moment. 
even if the film doesn't follow through. And the benefit of having it be Rod, I think, I think you're right, is that it gives a sense of relief in that moment. It's a it's a tension release where dread has been building up throughout this entire movie, and this is kind of the first time where you get the sense of shoo, like okay, things are okay now. Yeah, and after all that, I don't want to see um, Rose win because she wins sure. in the alternate ending. So watching her be defeated once she realizes it's um, Ross. I think I think for me, uh, the thing is that life doesn't always have like the happy ending to it. Like yeah. And I think originally that's why I preferred the alternate ending. Kind of, kind of touching on without getting into too many spoilers. Touching on blind spotting, the film builds to this tension point, and then again, you think this bad thing is going to happen. Um, and I won't tell you whether or not it happens or not, but there's there's a sense of relief in the moments following that, where maybe you don't need to have a film have the ending kind of punish you for the preceding 90 minutes and you can kind of have a more positive outlook on life and that's just a choice of the director so I've kind of come around to the ending of this film welcome home (laughs) well uh, should we give the film our final scores yeah and if my assumptions are correct uh, is this I feel like we're we're we got the same score. I think so. Would this be our first of this score? I can't remember if we've given this score to something. I think we. I think one of us has given the score to something else. I can't remember. I think it was. You know what? No, because we talked about it, and then you ended up going a different direction. So yeah, I think this is the first film from both of us to get a uh, a what a day, what a lovely day. Is it a high for you? I I think I'm just gonna say, what a day, what a lovely day. I mean, okay. the fact that it, the fact that it's a five out of five for me, yeah, is high. And I I'd have to go back and watch Okja again because that, at the time that was my favorite film that year. But as of right now, I think Get Out tops it. No recognition. <laughs> Nowhere. It, it it deserved a lot more than what it got, and I, I'm still a big fan of that movie, but after watching this a second time and seeing how layered this movie is, I think I gotta say get out. I prefer it at this point. So there you go guys. Um go watch this movie, go watch it two times, or go watch a CG elephant. <laughs> go watch this, go watch Oakja, go watch Sorry to Bother You, go watch Black Mirror, go watch uh, Fighting with My Family, and go watch Blind Spotting. That's your homework this week. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) that has been the uh, seventh ever episode of the Movie Hunters podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Speaking Uh, of Jordan Peele, his commercial just popped up. Coming up in uh, three weeks, we will be watching us and giving our review of that. But next week, we'll be reviewing the new MCU movie, Captain Marvel. And then the week after that, we'll be doing our review of the next Netflix film, um, 
Frontier? I'm blanking on the name of it. Frontier. Mm-hmm. What is it? Front Triple Frontier. That's what it's called. So to make sure that you're here to listen to the, these episodes coming up, you don't want to miss them. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment on the platform of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, Overcast, Pocketcast. We're everywhere. Until next time, guys, come movie hunt with us.